welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen, and co-hosting with me today is senior reporter at The Daily Signal and friend Mary Margaret Olihan. Mary Margaret, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> well, and joining us for the very first time on the show is Heritage Foundation senior media analyst, Kristen Eikammer. I said your last name right, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> the German last name. Kristen, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. So we are on December 8th is today. We are 17 days away from Christmas. No one freak out. Are you all <laughs> decorated for Christmas? Decorated a little bit. I don't really think of my place that I live right now as my home. I still think of my parents' house as my home. Sure. So in terms of decorations, I'm kind of like, nah, whatever. <laughs> and I do the good stuff at my parents' house, which okay. is well decorated. Yeah. And in, like in, in for perspective, your parents live about an hour, a little less than an hour away yeah. from where you yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mine are like nine hours away, so I can't enjoy their <laughs> Christmas decorations. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, my mom works for Crate and Barrel, and she's got all oh. of the boxes. I feel mm. like it's almost an added Christmas decoration is having just piles and piles of boxes right there, all the <laughs> oh white my gosh. Yeah. Fun. So. That would be so dangerous for me if my mom worked at Crate and Barrel. Oh, like, no. Mom, can you get me a discount on oh. this and this and this? And she does, and it is not good for my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Wow. I I decorated, and I was laughing to myself last night. So, like, I, I pretty much, like, got everything set. Um, but you know how they have those uh, those things that you can hang stockings on? I have a fake fireplace in my Aww. apartment, and they're like metal things. They're often kind of decorative, and stockings hang off of them. So I got some, and like for years I've been like, I should just buy them. And every year I'm like, I don't need to spend money on that. Well, finally I did this year. Um, really pretty, like reindeer kind of cast iron. Well, I dropped one on my foot in the no! decorating process. <laughs> Did it hurt? <laughs> yep. Oh. <laughs> so, fine. I had a moment of like, if I broke my toe with a Christmas decoration, this is going to be a really lame story. That would be very on brand, though. But, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the beginning of a Hallmark movie yeah. right there. But I didn't. It's fine. Actually, fine. that would be perfect. Like, some handsome man outside your window would hear you scream and yeah. come running to the rescue. <laughs> We'll work on that script. Uh, well, Merry Christmas to everyone listening as we're jumping into the Christmas season. Hopefully your Christmas decorating is going well. No injuries. But Mary Margaret, we have a great show planned for today. Go ahead and let us know what we have queued up. Yes. So up on today's Problematic Women, journalists are being told they can't write pro-life and pro-choice in articles anymore. We tell you what new words the PC police are demanding that journalists use. Plus, Elon Musk is airing all of Twitter's dirty laundry in the Twitter files. And NASA just took a drive by the moon. We explain why that matters. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. When we write, word choice is pretty important. The words that you use or don't use 
can actually say a lot, obviously. And uh, when you're in school, you all, I'm sure, remember, for those who are still in school, you're often using a certain writing style, and you're often required to use that style. So, you know, for most colleges, depending upon your major, you're, you're using APA, MLA, or Chicago. And in the field of journalism, most news outlets follow AP style, which stands for the Associated Press. And even here at The Daily Signal, we follow the Associated Press guidelines very closely. But the Associated Press made an announcement on Monday that we won't be able to follow. They announced they're updating the language they use around the topic of abortion. So this is the new AP rule for journalists. Use the modifiers anti-abortion or abortion rights. Don't use pro-life, pro-choice, or pro-abortion unless they're in quotes or proper names. Avoid abortionist, which connotes a person who performs clandestine abortions. Mm. So lots of thoughts here. What do you all make of journalists only being allowed to use the terms anti-abortion or abortion rights when talking about people that the media has traditionally called either pro-life or pro-choice? Well, I have lots of thoughts. Because... <laughs> you report uh, extensively on the life issue. Yes. I and mean, if you, when you do, and even just consuming regular news, you notice that media outlets, especially mainstream and liberal legacy, whatever you want to call it, they do exactly what abortion groups tell them to when it comes to covering this type of thing. So, you know, for example, the National Abortion Rights Action League will issue a style guide on writing about abortion. And they'll say, don't say baby, don't say pro-life. Use words that kind of obscure the meaning of what you're talking about because they don't want people to remember that you're talking about babies here and you're talking about women going in and having the baby removed. They want to use as surgical terminology as possible, make it sound really bland. And we've been seeing that for a couple of years now. I mean, not a couple of years. We've been seeing it for a long time. But this is kind of funny that they don't want you to say anti-abortion now because that has been the phrase for a while now. They want you to say anti-abortion. Um, and I think even that, the anti, they're getting mm -hmm. a little worried about the negativity associated with that. So instead, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they say don't use pro-life, pro-choice, or pro-abortion. Those are the words they wanted you to use for a long time. And the abortion rights one really gets me because a lot of conservative outlets fall for this one. There's no right to abortion. Mm -hmm. There has never been a right to abortion. Mm -hmm. And conservative outlets that fall for that, shame on you. Yeah. That's, that's embarrassing. Yeah, no, definitely. I think also what's really interesting is you're right on the money there with changing words. It's all about word changing, nothing to do with what AP actually is, which is, you know, punctuation, grammar. I remember, you know, plenty of my teachers would circle the the commas and say, uh -huh. that's not right. Um, <laughs> and and really what they are are doing now is it's not even like grammar, mm -hmm. uh, but mostly just word choice. And, and they're not only standardizing the way you say things, but sanitizing the way they are said. And so taking life out of it and taking what what does abortion mean if you can't use that word life? Like they're just taking the meaning out of it. Exactly. And I think this is all part of the, then the left is very good at this of understanding that if you control the language, then you control the culture. And when you tell people how to talk about abortion and you do this for most of the big outlets that people are reading, they're going to think of it in less humane terms. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why they don't want you to say abortionist, because then, you know, you're actually thinking about the person that's killing the baby that's coming out of the mother. And I think instead they'll say, um, what do they say often in these stories? They'll say medical professional or um, 
I think they often just will refer to them as like doctors. Yeah. And, um, I like if I write about it, I typically try to say abortion doctor or abortionist because I honestly think that that is more specific and therefore more correct. Yeah. You're not talking about a doctor. You're talking about an abortion doctor, which is kind an of an abortionist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which now we can't, apparently can't say. We will be saying. Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as I read this, I was like, this really feels like policing language, which <clears throat> feels like something that happens in China. Like, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we've been watching all these protests in China and we know that there's so much oppression that goes on there that media is so limited by what they can say and yeah. can't say it was like wait a second this feels a, a little big brothery i mean do you think that's an overstatement no not at all i mean if you look at how the the activist groups tell us how to talk about trans stuff too mm. they coined this phrase gender affirming care which is just kind of nebulous nonsense yeah that doesn't mean anything it and sounds we, really nice yeah, like, oh, yeah. Like, this sounds like i don't know like a nice little conversation no it means hormones puberty blockers and often surgeries where children's genitalia get cut off mm-hmm. that is nothing affirming about that no. <laughs> and and yet if you look at like new york times cnn washington post all i've looked at every major media outlet that you can think of uses the phrase gender affirming care and then they'll also say uh legislation targeting transgender youth when they describe for example a law that bans castrating minors and that is is along the same lines Mm -hmm. it is absolutely it's it's just uh, an attempt to use the language to change people's thoughts on how we perceive this yeah and it's frankly very scary well i think that's the key issue here is its perception Mm -hmm. because for anyone reading mainstream outlets that all follow the ap style to a t you know they'll just kind of take this as marching orders and say Mm -hmm. okay but that becomes part of the way that we think is you know if as we're consuming news it's like Oh yeah, it it's not pro life mm-hmm. people anymore. It's anti abortion. Right. It has a big impact on the way that we think about these topics. I think yeah. also what is very interesting is there's that whole schooling side of things too. A lot of kids are ra- raised or taught with AP style. I know I definitely was, um, and that's kind of scary because just like gender affirmation, like we are affirming these beliefs mm-hmm. in these young children before they really know what is right and wrong based mm-hmm. off of their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how they're raised. If someone doesn't follow, I mean, granted, I'm sure young kids, but maybe high schoolers, are, maybe high schoolers are writing influential article or papers on this for health class. I don't know what's going on in schools nowadays. <laughs> but um, if they don't use these terms, what happens? You know, do they get a, a C versus an A just mm. because of word choice? That seems very scary. And again, you know, everyone, mental health um, conscious individuals are all about affirmations. Mm-hmm. And I am beautiful. I am strong. I'm great. Well, when we take these terms and say you can't say pro-life, instead anti-abortion, mm-hmm. very different. Pro is positive, anti is negative. Mm-hmm. So does that make me the villain by using by using language yeah. that would be considered anti-abortion? That's very scary and just, I don't want to say brainwashy, but I mean, that's what they're doing in China. So No, it is very brainwashy. And I think in terms of like you're talking about academia, if you are at a mainstream institution right now, academic institution, and or a secular academic institution and you're getting graded in a journalism class where you use the word pro-life, I would not even slightly be surprised if you got in trouble for saying that because they would say, no, that's biased. You're saying that there's a life there. 
which is should not be up for debate no. whatsoever. <laughs> That's science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's literally science. Here we are. Oh, all right. Well, up next, we are going to talk about social media's favorite human, Elon Musk, and the release of the Twitter files. Lots to discuss there. But first, if you are enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts, look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you the facts on the issues that matter most. From the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, She Thinks has you covered. And if you can't wait for that next episode to drop, you can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or you can search for She Thinks Podcast in your favorite podcast app. So on Friday night, D.C. nerds and policy wonks were all glued. That includes me in Virginia, by the way. (laughs) We're all glued to Elon Musk's Twitter account. They were waiting for the release of the Twitter files. And these are a series of emails and communications between top leadership at Twitter showing how they censored content on the platform. Yes. So, Mary Margaret, like you said, I was one of those people that was watching Twitter and literally hitting refresh to see every tweet in this thread as it came out. But want to give a little bit of background for what exactly the Twitter files are and the the backstory behind this news breaking. So in October of 2020, Twitter censored a breaking news story that was written by the New York Post about the contents on uh, a laptop that belonged to the president's now president's son, Hunter Biden. Um, And the laptop had information that appeared to be about illegal business dealings that Hunter Biden was involved in. Well, Twitter, after this story broke, they started censoring the piece. And they said that they were censoring it because there were concerns over hacked material. Um, But what is now coming out is that it appears like that hacked material story uh, was just something that was made up by Twitter executives and top officials as an excuse for why they were censoring the story. So on Friday night, we learned that one former Twitter employee characterized the decision to brand articles as hacked material as they just freelanced it. And that employee added, hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. So does this surprise you, the fact that this information is now coming out? Because I think we all kind of expected all along, like, okay, there was some level of censorship, but to literally see the email chains back and forth of how these decisions were made, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean... We constantly are catching the same individuals making excuses and saying, don't look behind the screen. And then when you do actually have the ability to, just what you were expecting is behind it. So I am not at all surprised. All of big tech in Silicon Valley has been guilty of doing something similar or at least something as sketchy as this, um, even if it doesn't have to do with politics. Yeah. And I think like you were saying, Virginia, we kind of knew all of this already, but it is still wild to see it confirmed like this because, for example, uh, then White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany had shared this story. She got locked out of her account just for sharing the story. Yeah. And all kinds of other high-profile people were censored for sharing the story. You couldn't even send it in your Twitter DMs. I remember I was at the Daily Caller at the time, and we were all like talking about whether we could send it or not. We couldn't. We couldn't even DM it to each other mm-hmm. because Twitter was using – Uh, all their mechanisms to block that story. And what we also know from the Twitter files 
is that Biden campaign officials were sending all kinds of stuff to Twitter saying, censor this, censor that. Uh, I think there was one, I don't have it right in front of me, but there was one Twitter files message where they said, another one from the Biden team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. They, and then they would come back with it saying handled. Yeah. Like right. Twitter would respond handled. handled. It's like, like the Terminator, you know, like they put their glasses on and they're like, it's been terminated. Yeah. <laughs> really, though? Like it's that level. It's wild. And I think that Elon Musk is such a fascinating person for doing all of this. And bravo to him for being mm-hmm. so transparent because a lot of people would have been afraid to mm-hmm. dump all his files like that. And I know even on Friday night, we were all mad because it took so long <laughs> for it to go up. I think it took over an hour for them to actually yeah, Post he said it, it was going up at 5, and it was like 6.20 or something by the time it actually yeah. started going up. I know. I, I was refreshing. I had tweet <laughs> notifications on. Maybe that was all an elaborate way for him to get everyone to turn tweet notifications on for his tweets. Well, but. I, I mean, I think so in some ways. Like, I, I was really fascinated just from a journalistic perspective. This is a story that traditionally would have been given to a, a very predominant news outlet. Mm-hmm. A very prestigious journalist would have had this exclusive and broken it. Right. Instead, this was an independent journalist that Elon Musk gave this to, and it was a thread of about 40 tweets. Yes. Yeah. Boom, 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 one after another totally breaking the mold yes in such an extreme way of how journalism is done i think it was a really cool way to do it it reminded me of when um you know all this stuff about tara reed the woman that accused biden of sexually assaulting her came out and megan kelly got the interview with tara reed on camera i would just like to say i was interviewing her before megan kelly (laughs) but she got the on-camera interview and instead of doing it on a major television network she just did it at her house and put it on mm. YouTube. Wow. I, and I think it was her Double May Care media channel. Um, and it's such a, you know, a huge F you <laughs> <laughs> to the major media that treats people so badly. You're saying, we have the ability to control where this is coming from and whether or not you can censor it. And here's all the truth. Well, and I think that that is, you know, that's Elon's MO. He doesn't mm. need anyone to to like break this news for him and which is why he hired this person to you know cultivate this story and so that he could push it on to this entity like that essentially is like the the big text version of the titanic the thing that cannot be sunk because so many people use it mm-hmm. and he's almost torpedoing it himself saying like we're done we're done with this this yeah. is not who we are anymore we are not censoring individuals anymore we are even calling ourselves out and we are owning it because america and america well i guess the world too but um the world deserves better they deserve more transparency they yeah. deserve to not be lied to and we can't trust the news with it at this point so you are going to be able to come here for real information yeah it's so true i think elon's done a really good job too with encouraging media and lawmakers to be more transparent in general. Mm -hmm. I think one of the emails in the Twitter files, there was a guy in there, Trenton Kennedy, who I used to email all the time. um, And that's the Twitter comms guy that when, for example, like live action got censored on Twitter, I'd reach out and say, why is this being censored? Mm -hmm. Um, Is this a human error is what they always say. Or is this, um, you know, did they did they deserve to be censored by Twitter standards? And he would be really prompt and get back to me. And I was so interested because in the Twitter files, at one point he was talking about the hacked materials policy. And he was like, I really need more to explain this to the public better because they're not buying it. Mm-hmm. And the poor guy, you know, he's just trying, he's to, do trying his to do job. his job. He's trying to, like, transmit Twitter's policy and he can't do it because it didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Just 
crazy. Well, and I I think the exciting thing about this is we're going to see even more from Mm -hmm. Elon Musk. He's not stopping. He's going to keep digging things up Mm -hmm. at Twitter and exposing what happened behind the curtains. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's so funny watching Elon Musk because I think it's easy to forget like, oh, wait, this guy isn't just running Twitter. He also still has Tesla. Mm -hmm. And then he has SpaceX. This is a very busy human. And his ultimate mission is to live on Mars, to establish an, a colony on Mars. I've never had a desire to go to Mars, never really had a desire to go to space, especially I watched that movie Gravity, and after that, I was like, no. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I'm going to die if I ever go to space. Um, but space travel is is something that I find fascinating, but I really know very little about. Um, but Kristen, it's actually one of your passions, and it's an area that you know a lot about because you actually worked at NASA. So we're going to take a minute and talk a little bit about space and, and a recent NASA mission. But Kristen, if you would just share a little bit of your story, how did you wind up at NASA? Where does kind of this interest come from? Yeah, no, honestly, it was uh, serendipitous. I applied to an internship my senior year of college because I frankly just didn't want to take the job that I was offered. <laughs> and so I took this unpaid uh, internship thinking, you know, it's at NASA headquarters. It's in Texas. That's where my job is going to be. And then surprise, surprise, it's actually in Washington, D.C. <laughs> so I um, was then, um, you know, I just worked really, really hard, um, connected with the right people and was able to be um, presidentially appointed to a deputy press secretary role where I was exposed to the ins and outs of everything from space to, you know, the moon, but also to the crazy place um, that we call Capitol Hill right here in (laughs) D.C. So it was definitely a great introduction to politics. Um, Serving my country in that way was one of the most rewarding things I could have done. And at the time, there was this major push to, to reach the moon and then go on to Mars and beyond. So, Elon kind of stepped in during Trump's time and, and said, you know, SpaceX, we really want to own own a lot of this space travel and, and work with y'all at NASA. And uh, it, the rest is history. Wow. That is so cool. I know. It is really cool. <laughs> Elon reminds me in that aspect, not I'm changing here. No, no, no. Um, uh, have you guys seen Friends? Do you watch Friends? I've seen some episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at one point, spoiler alert, Monica dates this guy who's a billionaire. Oh, yeah. And, um, and he like created some version of Microsoft or whatever the mm-hmm. show's version of it is. And then he also started a whole bunch of other things. And at the end of the their relationship, he's like, now I'm going to be the ultimate fighting champion. <laughs> and he's like, I've conquered um, the woman I love and I've conquered the tech space. Now I'm going to conquer the fighting space. And I feel like <laughs> Elon Musk is like, now I will conquer space. <laughs> yeah, he's done everything else. It's kind of true, though. Well, and it, it's, it's wild to see just various, I think, things that are continuing to happen in that space and all of the progress that he is making. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of collaboration between SpaceX and NASA. But Kristen, tell us about this kind of recent NASA mission that was a drive-by of the moon. I, I don't totally understand <laughs> yeah, what what the impetus is in in driving by the moon, but what what's that about? No, what's going yeah, on there? Why don't we just drive by and land on it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, why not stop? Right? No, well, it's kind of funny because um, NASA, when I was there, we put out a uh, video that was called Space is Hard, because in case anyone's forgotten, it is. Um, <laughs> and uh, basically what we're looking at right now is um, 
on Monday, the the Artemis mission is what the mission is entirely called, but the specific portion of it, Artemis 1, actually flew the closest um, any American uh, capsule has flown since the time of when we landed on the moon and had a few lunar missions that actually did land on the moon. Um, it's a really big accomplishment because we are now working with much more complex technologies. Um, scary fact, when we landed on the moon, the technology that was used that carried, you know, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, all of them, um, was less advanced than our iPhones, which is terrifying. Wow. And just to give oh you gosh. perspective. <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> so um, one of the reasons why it was a flyby and not necessarily necessarily uh, let's go land on the moon is because we really don't know how these technologies are going to work with the lunar gravitation. So mm. we allowed this capsule to get within 80 miles of the lunar surface. And no human was in there, right? No, okay. right. This was just an uncrewed mission. Okay. So, um, yeah, I guess, like, just to take a step back for a second, there's three parts of the Artemis mission. And um, just to also start, it's called Artemis because Apollo was the mission that took us originally to the moon, which was her twin brother. And um, really, the overarching mission of the the Artemis um, l- like lunar mission is that we are going to get the first woman on the moon and the first person of color on the moon, which is really exciting. I mean problematic women let's go land on the moon <laughs> um, <laughs> let's do it <laughs> but yes yeah, so this this was an uncrewed mission and it was basically just to te- test the technologies um understand whether this orion capsule which is what they're calling it um has the ability to get that close to the moon um it, can it come back and land it's going to be landing in the pacific i think on the 11th so just in a few wow. days mm-hmm. um and to see kind of what happens before we actually put people in it um because you know quality control things can go wrong um and so that'll be the second part is a crewed mission and then artemis 3 will be actually landing on the moon and that might happen as soon as 2025 if we can get the funding right okay wow Wow. so this is all steps in a process of Mm -hmm. ultimately landing people on the moon so when that capsule went by was it taking pictures or was it really just like a figuring out is technology playing nice? Yeah, no. So it absolutely, there's some really, really cool images on Twitter right now. And um, if you go to NASA.gov, you can see some really amazing pictures of actually behind the moon looking towards the Earth, which is just wow. the most interesting perspective. Like that's, again, you know, take one step for man and one giant step for mankind. Um, there's just like that visual and the ability to see how small Earth is from the moon is just breathtaking. Mm. So Kristen, I have a question for you. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you believe in the first moon landing. <laughs> I hate this question. <laughs> but we're going there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it's so you're if you're asking me if I believe in the the first moon mission, I'm going to say yes, but I will also say on my first day as an intern at NASA headquarters, the videographer who was in the basement, we were getting a tour and he did say that this is where we filmed the moon landing. So, <laughs> I'm I'm optimistic, I will say. (laughs) For the record, I believe in the moon landing. One of my sister's boyfriends doesn't, and we were all like, uh, I just don't get it. Like, (laughs) yeah, I I just can't get invested in conspiracy theories. And like, I don't know. That just feels like a lot of work. Like, where did that money go? Yeah. (laughs) I think the good thing is to question things. So we should support the people who question. 
Um, and yeah, so I'm open to the questioning, but I also am really excited about the moon landing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, Kristen, thank you for joining us and for bringing in a topic that we have never talked about on the show because I know nothing about space. Yeah, me so neither. Thanks for educating yeah, us. Space is hard. Space, space is, is hard. hard. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you being here and look forward to having you back on. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, stay with us because up next, we are crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. It is that time once again, our favorite time of the week here on Problematic Woman. It is time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And this week, the crown goes to... Graphic designer, Lori Smith. So we talked a little bit about Lori Smith here on the show last week. We talked about her courage and her bravery in her fight for free speech. And the Supreme Court heard her case on Monday. Just to give a really quick review, Lori Smith, she's a graphic designer in Colorado, and she doesn't want to be forced to create wedding websites for same-sex couples' weddings. There's a law in Colorado that would force her to do just that. So she decided that she was going to file a preemptive lawsuit to challenge that law. The case rose all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, And Mary Margaret, we were both actually out there at the Supreme Court on Monday um, to see the crowd, the reactions. It was a pretty wild scene at the court. Yeah, it was really interesting because Alliance Defending Freedoms representing Lori. And so we bumped into like so many people from ADF and all these happy ADF members are holding signs. And what did the sign say? It was create equally or yeah, create freely, uh, create freely, create freely. And, you know, they're all very nicely dressed and acting very dignified. And then you have the usual cast of characters that we encounter at the court. Um, just some hooligans that have been protesting outside the homes of the justices. They've been causing a scene at the Supreme Court all summer with the Roe v. Wade protests. Um, I even saw them at a trans protest recently. And, you know, they're shouting things like bigot and saying F you and giving you the middle finger. And then they had their cowbell that they're banging in people's ears and screaming into their megaphone and other people's ears. We heard that there was some pushing and shoving, too. Mm -hmm. I didn't see it myself. But, um, you know, based on some of the interactions I saw, I wouldn't be surprised by that. But... You know, then after the rally ended, uh, Lori and her representation all came out of the court. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a cool moment to see them all come down the stairs and, um, you know, everyone's in their brightly colored wool coats and just kind of an epic Star Wars, like, come down the aisle moment, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I got to interview Lori after... Uh, she spoke to the press. So cool. And then we went on the other side of the court and we chatted with her briefly and with uh, Kristen Wagner, the president of Alliance Defending Freedom. And Lori was really sweet. She told us, um, I'm a graphic and website designer from Colorado. I want to create and design for weddings and do that consistent with my faith. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that is really her message in a nutshell. Yeah, it is. Let's go ahead and just play a quick clip of that conversation, Mary Margaret, that you had with Lori. My hope and prayer is that the court will protect everyone's right to, to speak freely. Whether your views are similar to mine on marriage or perhaps different, the right to speak freely is guaranteed to each of us. And I'm hoping the court protects that right. So cool. I think it's just neat to see uh, really a young woman. I mean, Lori Smith, is she's not that old. Mm-hmm. And she decided, I'm going to put a stake in the ground on this issue. And she speaks really freely about the fact that she's not just in this fight for her, but mm-hmm. she's thinking about all Americans. She's thinking about her children and her children's children. Yeah. Um, and she's absolutely right, because if this doesn't get figured out now, we're just going to see more lawsuits. We're going to see more um, individuals who hold to a traditional view of marriage being pressured, being forced to create content that they're not comfortable with. And so we we need a line in the sand. The Supreme Court has to be able to say definitively these rights are protected um, and that right to free mm-hmm. speech is protected. And I was just impressed that, you know, just her coming out of the court and seeing that crowd is not easy. Mm-hmm. And the amount of vitriol and hate that she's absolutely bound to get from protesters and from media and from, you know, I even saw the hosts on The View. The ladies were mocking her and talking about how you don't have a right to uh, hate uh, gay people. You know, they were just really misrepresenting what her views are. Mm-hmm. And but she's just smiling. She's ready to go. Yeah. She's at the Supreme Court with this monumental case. Uh, and I think that's very brave. It is very brave. It is. Well, and we're going to be looking out for that decision to come out from the court. I think it's going to be sometime between April and June, so a, a big window there. But unfortunately, the justices don't tell us when they're going to be releasing decisions in certain cases. Yeah, so. like uh, with the Dobbs. <laughs> yeah. That was torture. <laughs> it would have been, been nice to have a heads up, but it's fine. Oh, my gosh. Every Monday, waiting <laughs> so there at 10 a.m., <laughs> baking in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, we do uh, have a fun announcement to share. So it's Christmas time and we want to give you all a Christmas gift from Problematic Women. So if you take just a moment to leave us a a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, we want to hear your honest feedback. Tell us what you think about the show. uh, And we love hearing that feedback. Then if you snap a screenshot of that review and DM me on the Problematic Women Instagram account, say, hey, I just left a review and send me your address. I will put a Problematic Women Tumblr in the mail to you. Now, you have... I know! What? (laughs) (laughs) This is big! This is big! Uh, You have to leave your review before December 20th so that uh, I can get these cups in the mail to you before we're closing up shop here for Christmas time. So between today and December 20th, if you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it, DM me on the Problematic Women Instagram account, with your address and a picture of that review, I will send you a Tumblr. Whoop, whoop. She's literally like Santa Claus's wife. <laughs> you should see our office right now. It's, it's quite decorated. Yeah, we need more. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I didn't contribute anything yet. Well, you know, I feel like you did. I thought you brought something. No, I did Maybe nothing. Not. Oh, okay. You should have added yourself. I would I have thought you did. I need to get more. I, I will think about it tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's edition of Call Medical Women. 
Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. In the meantime, please subscribe and share. And again, please leave us ratings, reviews. We love hearing your feedback, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. It's so helpful to us. It really makes a difference. We hope you have an amazing week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.